Howdy, y'all. This episode of Election Profit Makers is sponsored in part by Norris and his debut EP, The River That Took My Brother. Dubbed the Ray Price of Richmond, Norris will have you tapping your toes to three new hit country songs and one fresh take on an old classic. You'll be swinging your partner round and round to the melodic sounds of his banjo. Download the music now at norris.bandcamp.com. Also available to stream on all major music platforms. That's The River That Took My Brother, the debut EP by Norris. Listen today. John, we did it. Another ad. Yeah. The kings of advertising. I know. I'm really excited. I love it. Ad sales. Ad sales. It's all about ad sales. We're legit. And the best thing is we don't know how to make dynamic ad placements. So these ads are just part of the permanent historical record of these podcast episodes. Oh, yeah. They'll never be swapped out when for a new oatmeal company or a new mattress company. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. This EP by Norris, this this shit hot country musician. That's just there forever. That's great. Along with all our meanderings and and words of wisdom as we discuss sports, numbers, guitar pedals, politics, the latest polls, the future of Predict It. These ads become part of the threads that hold this quilted reality together and people huddle under it and shiver under it for warmth because they live in a cold world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. I do. We're quilting with words. We're quilting with words, phrases, sentences, adverbs, adjectives. Gerunds, prepositions. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gerunds. That's got to be the ugliest word in grammar. The ugliest grammar term. Gerund. Yeah. Because it's almost like Gerald, but then it's un. (laughs) I don't know. It's which reminds you of underwear, like filthy underwear. You know. Is there some Latin behind gerund? I don't think there's much Latin in our language anymore. Okay. Think on that. (laughs) We're slowly removing all the Latin influences. All right. All right. Um, Let me gather my thoughts for a moment. Oh, that's right. You're listening to one of the greatest podcasts you've ever had the pleasure of downloading. It's Election Profit Makers with me, Davey. And I'm joined on the line by Johnny Jaxer Free. Johnny, are you Jax still free when you play Jax with the little rubber ball and those little spikes? What was Jax? Remember Jax? They're like little, they're like anti-tank. Anti, like <laughs> yeah. that's something Antifa would use to protect a forest. Jacks right. throw jacks on the road. Yeah, giant jacks on Omaha Beach. Right. Yeah. Is that where it comes from? What are jacks? Who came up with that? It's crazy. I don't know. And I got something else question. to say. Pick up sticks. Who convinced kids that was a fun game to pick up a bunch of sticks? That's mind control at its finest. Are I feel like pick up sticks are probably still around, but are jacks still around? You don't see kids playing jacks on the schoolyard and you don't you're not following no. jack talk, which is jack center TikTok. No. These kids today are too susceptible to um bad influences and the weaponization of things like fidget spinner. You know, that reminds me of um remember Frog Princess? Yeah. Speaking of toys, yeah. One of the great recurring characters in season two of Election Profit Makers. What if yeah, you Antifa was caught with a f- Frog Princess, Jacks, and Fidget Spinners. It would be pronounced in order as explosive devices, anti-tank technology, right, and um, rotating weaponized blades. Yes. Yeah. They would make it sound so ominous. Yeah. 
Because wasn't that the same era where the where the NYPD was saying that someone at Shake Shack put put cement in their milkshake to try to kill them? Yeah, they were assassinated by um, that. Was that was that the charge was cement, right? They've mixed in cement into our milkshake. Was that I don't what it was? Know if it was cement. I think oh. that they thought that they, that it didn't taste right, and they were being poisoned, right? Yeah, and they were being poisoned. Yeah, that was, of course, the golden era of soup for my family. In former President Trump's <laughs> yes. immortal phrase, people yes. showing up in front of banks with cans of soup and insisting, "Oh, this is just soup for my family." Wink. Yeah, this soup wasn't flying <laughs> through those bank windows very hard. God, that was cr- that was so long ago, John. Even a piece of cheese can be a mighty weapon. Think on that. Yeah, or an apple. Mm-hmm. An apple can be. I mean. And we could say that arguably an apple was the most destructive weapon of all time, the original weapon of mass destruction, for it led John to the downfall of man. Yeah. To eat from the fruit from the tree of wisdom, that's like a nuclear bomb going off. That changed yeah. the whole course of the Bible. If Adam, what would have happened if Adam you know, had been that's like, true. that snake shows up, oh, Eve, please eat from this fruit, a tasty apple. What if it, what if Eve had been like, no, I'm good. Would God have been like, oh, I guess they don't need me down here and just disappeared, gone to Pluto and been God on a different planet? I always thought that if it didn't happen, didn't they say we'd still be walking around naked? Oh, right. Because we would be unashamed. Yeah. God, I guess in a way Eve did biff it a little. You would like to be walking around naked? Well, not so much these days, but back in my 20s, yeah. Yeah. I was forever finding excuses to to take off my clothes and celebrate my youth and vitality and listen to <laughs> listen to First of the Month by Bone Thugs and Harmony and Mo Money Mo Problems by um, Biggie Smalls. Sure. But that's what your youth is for. And then you become old and then you do understand the wisdom of um clothes. John, let's turn to the nominal subject of this podcast, which is a wonderful website called predictit.org. What is the latest with this beleaguered institution? Uh, Predictit tweeted a few days ago an important update that the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has granted an injunction to allow Predictit to continue operating while the court considers granting longer term relief. Basically, that means they can stay open past February 15th. So we know that at the very least, we will continue to do this podcast past February 15th. Oh, actually, we have to because we got to go down to Florida. I should say we get to go down to Florida. Yes, we, yeah. Tuesday, March 7th at Satchel's Pizza in Gainesville, Florida. If you have not yet booked your travel and accommodations, we strongly encourage you to do that post haste because this is going to be the Lollapalooza of 2023 when it comes to prediction markets and pizza anniversaries. Yeah. I guarantee you will not find a finer celebration of those two foundational American pastimes. So Predicted is going to extend beyond February 15th. When do we get some new markets out here? When do I get my Elon tweet markets? No new markets. That wasn't one of the things that was asked for in relief. So um, no, yeah, I mean, it's zombie Predicted again. It just c- continues. No new markets. Yeah, we'll find out what happens. I still I st- I still, don't think Predicted is going to make it. You think Predicted is just... Delaying the inevitable? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's 16 markets on Predicted. Those are all that remain, just like last week. There hasn't really been a change in any of the markets as far as I can tell. I'm still underwater in GOP 2024 nominee. I'm up in woman president in 2024. Listeners will remember uh, the thrilling moment last week when I actually bought shares live on the air. We, We were all in 
enraptured with that moment. And I'm happy to say that that paid off not just as a bit of audio entertainment, but actually as a financial instrument. Because my shares of no at 79 cents, I'm up $10 in that market. And then as always, Democratic 2024 presidential nominee, I'm a little up, I'm a little down. I'm a little up, I'm a little down. Mm-hmm. Having said all that, nothing much has changed. And so with a heavy heart, I close my predict it tab for the week and we turn John to other topics. What do you think about that? All right. John, we've turned to other topics. What's caught your eye recently in the newspaper? Uh, the Durham investigation. Yes. You know, you know what? Yes. Well, that is coming to an end. And for those who don't remember, John Durham is the prosecutor assigned by Attorney General Bill Barr in 2019 to investigate their conspiracy theory that there was a deep state plot among law enforcement agencies to frame Trump and that that's what the original Russia investigation was all about. Russia Gate, as it's called. Yes. So it's been four years. It's now lasted longer than the original investigation. You mean it's lasted longer than the Mueller investigation? Yes, than the Mueller investigation. A lot of players in this. You got Barr, Classic. Mueller, yeah. Durham. Supergroup. And the New York Times has a big TikTok on all of the this internal debate that's been going on. Wait, they it. did a TikTok about it? No, not a TikTok. Oh. Just a tick. That's a that's a uh, like oh, a media term. I got know? so excited that I could get all my news on TikTok. Oh now. God! And actually, I take that back because the thing I like about TikTok is I have no news on my TikTok. It's all vibes, baby. It's I all would vibes. actually prefer an actual TikTok because this article in the Times is so long and wordy. Uh, the gist of it is that the. That Durham has been discredited. Wait, what? That he and Barr did a bunch of things that the original investigation did as well. They relied on faulty intel that may have been disinformation and that nothing is going to come from it. And also, didn't the Italians show up at one point and be like, hey, we don't know anything about a deep state collusion when it comes to Russiagate, but we do have evidence of financial crimes committed by President Trump. yes. Yes. And Barr and Durham were like, we're not actually interested in that. Thank you very much. Grazie mille per la cappuccino. Yeah. So in the, I mean, I think they did investigate it a little bit, but they, clearly they weren't that wasn't, excited. Yeah, that wasn't part it. of their mission. That's right. Bill Barr was corrupt, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was the worst. Really? Is how I would put it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, he came out and he he ended the Mueller investigation within months once he took over his AG and said that there was nothing there uh, based on his summary. And there clearly was something there. Yeah. So, but I, you know what? That's on Mueller. You know, Mueller biffed it. In Mueller, we trust, man. I will never turn on Mueller. I love him. <laughs> I remember one time when I was downtown Manhattan, coincidentally, the day that, um, God, who was getting sentenced at the courthouse? It was like Bannon or Roger Stone. Anyway, it was a big hullabaloo. Was it was it Michael Cohen? It was just one of those one of the members of that rogues gallery, shall we say. Yes, there were a few. And there were a bunch of um protesters there, like hashtag resistance type people, I would say. Yeah. And one of them yeah. had a shirt that had the black flag logo. And then in the black flag typeface it said Muller Time. I was like, that's actually kind of tough. But it turned yeah. out to not be that tough. 
No, it didn't age well. It's a little cringe. It's a little cringe, nowadays. and it's like, mm, I think Mueller failed in the process of weeding out, and I think if I had known how bad that report was going to flop, I would have had a nervous breakdown. I'm certainly not jealous again that there are continuing to be investigations. And yes, you bet we do have something personal against you. Isn't that the name of one of their songs? Mueller's got a ten and a half. Mm, who's got the ten and a half? Mueller's got the ten and a half. Yeah. John bringing up the live, the live cassette only Black Flag concert release. Yeah. I like this. When it comes to Mueller, I say, "Gimme, gimme, gimme more <laughs> indictments." <laughs> because yeah. following this on the news has truly got me damaged and damaged part two. <laughs> I'm going to need a six-pack when I'm done following all of this on MSNBC as part of my TV party tonight. Uh, okay, that's okay. perfect. That was enough. All right. There's some other blasts from the past, and no, I'm not about to start listing a bunch of Tom Trockley's dog songs. What I was going to say was, John, in addition to the Bill Barr investigation revelation, we've also got maybe a pending indictment in New York concerning one Stormy Daniels. Yeah, that what happened. I felt like yesterday we were moving backwards through time. So I don't know the 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 gist of the, that other than I I think that they're they the the charges that he paid her off and that it was a campaign finance issue is that what it is it's sort of like what John Edwards did which is a felony yeah that's the perfect example way to bring it back to our right. home state of North Carolina John Edwards yeah impregnating his campaign videographer while still being married to his wife, Elizabeth. Right. And then, yeah. Golly, remember that? I think Trump is going to be uh, indicted. So a grand journey has been impaneled, and I think he will be indicted here. I think he will also be indicted in Georgia. Uh, And when it comes to January 6th, I don't think there's going to be anything. It's just too complicated and weird. So if predicted had indictment markets, you'd have money in the Stormy Daniels campaign finance violation indictment market, and you'd have money in the Georgia election interference indictment market, but you would not have money in the January 6th insurrection indictment market. I would say that the January 6th insurrection market should be trading at like five cents. Five cents? And that the New York and Georgia indictment markets are both trading over 50 cents. I would say New York is probably trading higher than Georgia for some reason. I don't know why I think that. It's just more cut and dry and it has to do with sex. So there's a sort of shield of of puritanism that can I agree with you. deflect it from being a political partisan witch hunt. You know what I mean? Right. It's simple. It's it's pretty simple. He's guilty of having a libido. What if we were right-wing YouTubers and that was our take on it? Watch out, guys. Soon it'll be a felony if you have a libido. We could be called the Libido Brothers. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Oh, that's the name of our podcast? That would be the name of our right-wing podcast. And we would make more money in one week than we've made in six years. I guarantee it. Because there's Dude, money. I'm not kidding. I'll, the fucking, I, who's the name of that guy who turned down that deal with that right-wing thing? It was like $50 million. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? Steven Crowder. Yeah, and somebody, one of the other Louder guys with Crowder. Okay, and one of the other guys who runs some kind of right wing platform right. is going to pay him like tens of millions of dollars, and he yeah, turned Ben it Shapiro. Down. Ben Shapiro, yeah, it's all of these the guys. Daily Wire, Rogues Gallery, much. 
I think I'll go to the gallery tonight and enjoy some of these rogues. Because they're all in a rogues gallery, if you ask me. So that proves that there's a lot of money to be had in the right wing in the right wing um media sphere. NSS, man. NSS. We've known that. Yeah, no shit Sherlock. That could be the name of our right wing podcast, actually. No shit Sherlock. But really what it stands for is no no sad sacks. Is that a good name? <laughs> We're an anti sad sack podcast. Everybody stop complaining. All right. Well, <laughs> That was great. You explained the shit out of the Bill Barr investigation. You explained the shit uh, out of the Stormy Daniels pending indictment. Okay. Why don't you explain the shit out of... Uh, Diane Feinstein. Or is it Feinstein? I can't tell. That's why I can't wait for her to be out of the Senate because I, I never know I just I read to I read it. I don't, I don't listen. I don't hear it. No matter who wins that seat, Katie Porter or Adam Schiff, it's going to be such an upgrade in ease of pronunciation mm-hmm. and confidence of pronunciation. Uh, a poll came out that showed Porter leading between the two, um, and I think a lot of people are worried that Schiff's blue dog past would be bad for him in California, uh, and it seems that Schiff is trying to posi- position himself uh, as more of a progressive than he has been in the past. I, being a big-time centrist, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, really like Adam Schiff. Um, so he give you that Buttigieg vibe that you're always chasing? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's such a great communicator. Now, Katie oh Porter- Oh my God. Fucking commu- great. I'm so tired of hearing you say that about people, that they're a great communicator. I'm sorry. Yeah. I interrupted. That's all right. Well, K- Katie Porter is a great communicator. Yeah. Katie Porter is the one with well. the whiteboards that everyone goes crazy for, right? That's right. She does rub some people the wrong way. Wow. Sexist um, much? Oh God! You fell right I don't into think that. so. Oh really? Why would she rub some people the wrong way, and Adam Schiff wouldn't rub some people the wrong way? Hmm. Yeah. Think on that. I guess I can't defend myself on this one. It's fine. Uh, okay. Forget that. That's one race I will not donate a penny to. I don't give a fuck who wins that seat. It's going to be fine. Right. I hope that Senate race breaks records as the least expensive Senate race in history and that nobody donates money to that Senate race. You know what I mean? When there's so many other places. Yeah. To I mean, money. yeah, that'd be amazing. It should, it should be that it's just yeah. non. It's just black and white flyers. Bring it back to the black flag days. Like they can't even afford TV ads. They're just going around putting up flyers. Yeah. Wow. Diane Feinstein. What? If, yeah. Her, she's yeah. Whatever. She rubs people, the, some people the wrong way too. Again. Uh, yeah, she does. I don't think I'm being sexist though. Well, it's interesting. Can you think of a male politician where w- the thing you would say- I can't is think of a single one they suddenly. They rub somebody the wrong way. No, because, like, I can't yeah, think of any. Okay, but there's got to be. That language must be coded by gender somehow. Rubs people the wrong way. like Because no one would say, yeah, Donald Trump really rubs some people the wrong way. Like You wouldn't say that, but- well, Buttigieg, I could almost say it because it's it's um it's not just contempt; it's a sort of suspicion and a sort of wariness, right? Like, right. I, let's let's bring it back to John Edwards. I think some people would have said John Edwards rubs some people the wrong yeah. way because it's not that it's not animus; it's a sort of something's off here. I think I'm getting rubbed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of John Edwards' vibe, I think. 
You know, I think you're right. I do think there is something here because there's so many women that rub people the wrong way. Right. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi. Right. AOC. Pretty much anybody in the squad. And I think part of that is just a general unease with women. Right. Isn't that Kamala Harris? Yeah. She just rubs me the. Yeah. Right. We've cracked the code. That is just all. It's total sexism. I can't tell. Maybe, maybe let's let's pin let's put a pin in that, okay? Okay, let's all sti- right. Let's well, let's move on. Should we move to something more exciting? Uh, what? Tyree Nichols police murder? No, I don't really have anything to say about that except thank God COVID funds were all redirected to police departments over the last three years. What a mess! Yeah, yeah, I I I couldn't watch it, so not not gonna watch it. Um. I, I've been throwing myself into sports lately because oh, uh, Twitter, my Twitter feed, everybody who is smart has left. So it's just us dumb sports people. So that's all I tweet about and that's all I I get tweeted at about. Um, can I give a, a, a quick UNC sports update? Um, yes. UNC beat Syracuse 72 to 68 this past week to move to 15 and 6. Next up, they play Pitt at home, and then they go to Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham to take on Duke, where UNC has won four of the last five, including those amazing two games last year. Uh, so, will Duke get revenge for last year? No, because again, that's impossible. There's no way to get revenge, but they they might win. An interesting thing about that game, and the reason why I'm talking about it is because it's this, this coming Saturday. So uh, it will be the first time in 40 years that the two teams have played where there isn't a Hall of Fame national championship winning coach on the sideline. It's pretty interesting, right? That's an interesting fact. I'm sorry? Mm, okay. Never mind. I, I was looking at the news. Sorry. A Hall of Fame coach? Yeah, it's the first time in 40 years that the two have played. The two what's? The two programs, Duke and UNC. Oh, Duke and UNC. Copy, copy. Yeah, where there is not a national championship winning coach. What if, 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 if Hubert had won last year, that streak would be continuing? God, amazing. But at least you do have a streak that goes from 1963 to today of every coach having at least a final four and that streak will continue. Okay. Actually it's every game from 1952, except for four. It's 177 of 181 games where the coach has had a final four. I don't know if you knew, but UNC has more final fours than any other basketball program. 21 final fours. UCLA has 19. Kentucky and Duke are tied at 17 and Kansas has 16. Okay, we're done. Those are just some numbers that I wanted to throw oh, out. Oh god. There. I you know what? There's the it, the interesting thing about you John is that you can make me like sports or you can make me hate sports. And sometimes I don't even think it's about you. It's just about whatever mood I'm in. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll be talking about some fucking sports bullshit and I'll be like, oh, that's actually kind of interesting. I understand why this is so appealing to so many people. And then other times you're like, did you know that 
that uh, only three coaches have a win-loss streak of 31-4 and four by April 14th of the postseason. Yeah. It's only happened four times in Kentucky history from 1946 to 1948. You don't like, like those? What is this guy talking about? Who cares? All right, here's here's one. Right, okay. UNC is the only program to go to a Final Four in every decade beginning in the 1940s. That's nine decades in a row. Well, that's pretty good. That's nice and easy. But when your things get all technical with carve-outs and exceptions, then it just feels like you're having a, I don't know. Uh, taking too much medication. Yeah, maybe. exactly. You, you did too much Ritalin or something. Yeah. John, let's take a quick break. Birchwood Palace Industries is your number one source for short books about video store logos, knockoff Dr. Pepper brands, weird wooden children's toys of the 1970s, hospital menu hotline directories, and other topics of potential interest to EPM listeners. This month, Birchwood Palace Industries is launching Paper Palace, a bi-monthly mail subscription service that delivers a discursive, graphics-filled letter in a number 10 envelope with a complete set of instructions for a new pencil and paper game right to your mailbox. EPM listeners can get a 20% discount on any order by using the coupon code HELICOPTERTONY at checkout. Visit their online store at birchwoodpalace.com. John, turning now to Hollywood news, what's new in the world of Hollywood? Nothing for me. Nothing for me. Moving on. So, John, last week you were praising this book that you had received from a listener. The book was all about numerology and coincidences and parallel lives. And you said that you thought the author of this book was a true genius. And then come to find out through some some legwork by our listeners that the author of this book mm. is actually a Nazi. Yeah, Wait, I did not say he was a genius. So I, just said I he think was a you guy. have some explaining to do. I read his background and you said, oh, he's a legit. Yeah, I was being sarcastic, obviously. Yeah. And I thought you were being sarcastic as well. It seemed a little shady. That said, did not know he was a Nazi. Actual member of the American Nazi Party, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, apologies. What was the name of the book? The name of the book, it's right here next to my copy of Mein Kampf, <laughs> is Synchronicity and You, Understanding the Role of Meaningful Coincidence in Your Life. And the name of the author? Frank Joseph, the Nazi. John, last week we were discussing Yakov Smirnoff, the famous comedian, and we got an email from Jenny who provided some context. I thought, remember when I was saying that I thought he had gone full MAGA and you weren't sure? Well, Jenny writes in, Yakov went super Christian and opened a Branson theater years before Trump and was a Reagan speechwriter. That's amazing. That blew my mind. But that makes sense. He was at the height of his powers. Reagan probably saw him on TV and said, I need this anti-communist warrior in our bullpen. A Reagan speechwriter. He worked with like um, Pat Buchanan. Oh, right. Another great winner. Yeah. Um, he got a psychology doctorate and does a traveling clean comedy show relation counseling motivational talk. I saw him in LA in 2013 and the comedy was very... Women be like. Mm -hmm. 
After vaccines, he was anti-mask mandates from an I love freedom point of view, but reviews of his current comedy seems pretty anti-immigrant and pro-Trump, and his touring locations are all Trump country, often at churches. He also has done videos for PragerU, uh, that's Dennis Prager, again, one of those guys. Uh, it's an elite institution of higher learning. Yeah, that's it. Um, so, so he does videos for PragerU, but about laughing in your hmm. relationship. Hmm. Keeping the laughter alive. That's nice. He goes out of his way in public to not mention his political beliefs, even though his audience would be into it. I remembered he was Ukrainian and ethnically Jewish when the war started and immediately went to his Twitter to see if he'd say something and silence. Though he's raised a bunch of money for Ukrainian refugees, he hasn't spoken out against Russia at all, even when explicitly asked. It's a real mystery to me, but at least Yakov and I will always have that night in Hollywood. Jenny sent along a photo that she took with the aforementioned Yakov Smirnov. I was intrigued to see that he's that he's actually Ukrainian. He's not Russian. Although when he started, he was so he was billed more, I guess, as a Russian Soviet comic. But now that right. distinction obviously is more significant. Um, and it's yes. interesting that he that he, that his support for Ukrainians is naturally publicly tempered by by the um, taboo against speaking ill of Vladimir Putin among the Republican uh, Trump supporters, which is a fascinating dynamic. Yeah. We got an email from listener Mike, the subject of which was Trump and Steve Reich, the legendary minimalist composer. I was very excited about this email. I thought maybe they had a new collab that was about to drop. Midnight release, Trump doing doing incendiary spoken word over over a Steve Reich uh, minimalist pulse. Uh, but Mike was was writing in uh, to say the following: I just discovered that this is an actual quote from Donald Trump's book, which is called Donald Trump Think Like a Champion. Here's the quote. I wish I could do this in a Donald Trump voice. <laughs> I re how does Trump talk? I remember uh, what's his voice like? I remember. No. no, that's Grandpa Simpson. I'll just do it straight. Everyone will apply their own um, Donald Trump voice filter in their mind. Donald Trump writes in his book, Donald Trump Think Like a Champion, the following. I remember reading about a composer named Steve Reich who came up with a new idea called phasing, which is like windshield wipers going in and out of sync. Apparently, he was caught in a traffic jam one rainy day, and the rhythm of the windshield wipers caught his attention, and he applied what he heard to his musical compositions. <laughs> Sometimes new ideas can come from something as mundane and functional as your windshield wipers. The key is to pay attention and keep your brain and senses open to new stimuli, end quote from former President Donald J. Trump, speaking on the issue of Steve Reich and phasing in contemporary minimalist music. Ah, oh, I'll have things that were not typed by the publicly credited author for $800, Alex. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. I did. I did it. You know that joke style? I did it. That's a really convoluted joke style, but I think I did it. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Do, um, do you think Donald Trump is – whatever. Why do I think talking? Donald Trump – I don't care. I don't give a shit about this guy. Donald Trump? Pretty boring. He came up with a new idea called phasing, which is like windshield. Wipers. He could never. I don't know what he would book have been so was. mad when the ghostwriter turned this in. 
he would be like, what are you painting me out to be? Some kind of weirdo who listens to windshield wipers? And then the editor was like, no, this is actually good. This is good because this means that you'll be part of that downtown avant-garde music scene. You, you can go yeah. to John Zorn concerts now. They're going to think you're really cool. Great news. We got you front row passes to the lounge lizards. John Lurie wants to meet you now that he knows you're really into Steve Reich. Lamont Young wants to show you his new just intonations. You think that happened? That didn't happen. You think uh, Donald no. Trump went and saw a Lamont Young performance? Never. At the Knitting Factory? Are you out of your mind? Of course, that never happened. It would never happen in a million years, John. You don't Stop think he's ever been to the happened. Knitting Factory? I guarantee you, John. I guarantee you, Donald Trump, he's been to, here are the clubs Donald Trump went to back in the heyday. All right. He went to Studio 54 all the time. I bet you he never went to the Knitting Factory. I bet you he never went to CBGB's. Mm. Really? I do think he probably went to some afternoon shows at ABC No Rio, depending on who was playing. Maybe if Catharsis was playing, he would go see them. Can you imagine that? And he would, <laughs> because wasn't, didn't Ivanka go through a punk rock phase? She was probably all over the scene. Remember when she dyed her hair blue? She was like a bad girl, right? I do not remember that. She got real, I think she toured with Operation Ivy. I'm dropping so many references right now. No. We're going, we're going hardcore no. comedy right now. That's not yeah. true. Yeah, she was on tour with them for a while, I think. Okay. She was like the guitar tech, I think. Hey, imagine being the guitar tech for a punk rock band. The guitarist turns to you and says, excuse me, tech, can you make this sound more like garbage? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Let's open for Yakov Smirnoff and do jokes about how bad rock and roll <laughs> punk rock music is. And you're like, yeah, punk rock music. <laughs> bad news. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Hi, Branson. It's us. We're the um, we're called the Libido Brothers, and we're here to talk about. We're here to do some music comedy. Don't worry, it's not Russian water comedy. It's just musical talking comedy. Ah, my daughter the other day said the said the words that no father wants to hear. No, she didn't say, Daddy, I'm pregnant. She said, Daddy, I want to listen to punk rock music. I said, oh, honey, with a twirl of my mustache, are you sure you don't mean punk rock horrible music? Because it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That'll get some good laughs. That'll get some good laughs. Speaking of punk rock and Hollywood updates and celebrities, I saw legendary... Black Flag and Circle Jerks singer Keith Morris a couple weeks ago in Los Angeles as I was finishing up eating some horrible vegan tacos, like so depressing. Uh, I saw Keith Morris at the same taco shop and I said, hey, Keith Morris, keep up the good work. I'm a big fan. And he was really appreciative. And that's a little celebrity sighting from the streets of L.A. Bringing it back to punk rock. Full circle. Full circle, will. John. Full circle. As in the Circle Jerks. John, it's time for another uh, award-winning ad read, and this one is very intriguing. We have a listener named Adrian Hahn who has a new book out, and it's about something that you and I have both discussed on and offline, which is the gamification of our lives. You know how you and I both got obsessed with our step counters, and there was a period last spring when you would walk around in circles or in the living room like a maniac because you had to keep your numbers up for stepping, right? Right. Listen to this. Have you ever cheated with your Fitbit by pretending to exercise so that you can win achievements? Have you ever been annoyed by Duolingo trying to get you to learn more French by earning extra experience points? Or maybe you've used Robinhood and predicted to turn the markets into a game. 
That means your life has been gamified, which is the subject of Adrian Hahn's new book, You've Been Played, How Corporations, Governments, and Schools Use Games to Control Us All. You've Been Played is about the stunning rise of gamification across health work, social media, politics, finance, and education, sometimes for good, mostly for bad. If you want to know why gamification has dominated the world and what can be done about it, this book is for you. Now, I realized when Adrian reached out about advertising, I heard him discuss this book on Science Friday with the legend Ira Flato. Yeah, I've heard him on the radio, too. This book is really intriguing to me. And he talks about like how Amazon will turn these performance benchmarks into little games. It sounds like something – it sounds – like truly dystopian. Yes. How to make packing boxes more fun because you earn points and stuff. I have no doubt that all of this works. You mean that people fall for it? Absolutely. Because of your experience with steps? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you want, uh, yeah, you want consistency. You want to see the bars at a certain level. You want to see them going up. Anytime you get that prompt that says you need 250 more steps to reach your goal this hour or whatever. But do you do it in your life for things other than – I think I only do it for steps. I think that's the only app I have where I check in and say, oh, if I go out for a walk right now around the block, I'll, I'll get more steps. But I'm not sure if that technically counts as gamification because I don't get an award. It's not like you get a new achievement or something. I think with a lot of the corporate uses of gamification, there's little prizes and stuff, right? You're competing sometimes against other people, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to think, and now I can't think of an example of anything. But yeah, well, I mean, predict it. You know, there's gamification because they 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 score you, and then they put a leaderboard right there. Yeah, that's a good example. You're on um, the leaderboard, right? Yeah. You've been played as a critique of gamification, but it's written by an actual game designer and games journalist, and it goes far beyond the usual suspects like Fitbit and Duolingo to look at the historical roots of gamification. Foucault. Lewis Mumford, Skinner, Medieval Indulgences, Taylorism, ARGs, this book has it all. From Publishers Weekly, a passionate survey, a wake-up call for workers and political leaders alike. The book, my friends, is called You've Been Played, How Corporations, Governments, and Schools Use Games to Control Us All. The author is EPM listener Adrian Hahn. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. John, we've got some... um, an extraordinary volume of correspondence regarding urination yes. and pee making. And I am not sure where to begin. We have a lot of great letters here. I kind of want to read them into the permanent record. Uh, I trust our advertisers will not be offended, but you know, we have to, we have to maintain a firewall between adver- between advertising and editorial content. So I think we should feel uh, we should feel uh, fully. We shouldn't worry about pissing off the advertisers. Oh, that would be beautiful. Beautiful. Were. And I think what I'm going to do to make this even better is that we're in, in honor of Donald Trump loving Steve Reich and American minimalism. Minimalism. I might put some Steve Reich under these um, urine letters just to make the whole thing that much more, uh, shall we say, chef's kiss or chef's piss. I'll read the first one. First bit of correspondence is from Ruben from the Netherlands. Regarding the pee situation, John and I were discussing how much each of us uh, pees in the toilet. He says, I'm wondering if you guys sit or stand to pee. 
Standing while peeing has been linked to all kinds of bladder issues. When you stand, it's possible that the bladder doesn't get drained sufficiently. This will cause you to feel the urge to pee quicker compared to if you sat down. You therefore might also urinate more frequently. I had a friend who got into serious distress and got told by his doctor to just sit his ass down to pee. I'd also be very interested in a volume comparison between you two, especially if one of you sits and the other stands. Or even try the opposite method compared to your current standard and see if you notice a change. He continues, please don't stop your podcast if predicted ends. Your dynamic is fantastic and you guys make me laugh out loud on my bike ride to work. I'm Dutch, he says, it's the law. Keep it up, but sit down to pee. That's a nice letter about pee from Ruben from the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, I kind of think weirdly that getting into our position when it comes to urination is a bridge too far in terms of, uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't want people imagining us in various urination making positions. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just say that I stand when I okay. pee. You don't, you don't have to say that. John Kimball putting the P I, in parasocial relationships. Or I should don't I say parasocial plan. relation pisses? Yeah. I I um just like eating, I think going to the bathroom is a waste of time. It I got other more important things to do. No, you so sit, don't. So Enough, sitting you don't. So well, I've got other things that I'd rather be there doing. So say that. Uh, just be honest with the be honest. So the idea of sitting down. Uh, it would ju- it's, it feels like it would take longer. Also, I sit ninety nine percent of the day. If I didn't stand why, while peeing, I probably wouldn't stand much. So, um, a portrait of man at his finest, John Kimball, future cover star of Men's Fitness magazine. I sit most of the day, so standing up to pee is kind of like a fun bit of exercise. That's what you're saying, right? But I'm not discounting uh, the the health aspects that he mentions, but I, I, I don't have an issue with having to urinate frequently. So I'm not having an issue. But if I do start having that issue, maybe I will try that. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Keep us posted, won't you? Okay. Antonio writes in, I am happy to inform you that it is indeed possible and somewhat easy to measure the volume of urination in a day. Hmm. In preparation for a kidney donation a few years ago, in addition to the copious blood draws and other medical tests required, I was also required to do a 24-hour urine collection. I truly don't mind getting blood drawn, am not very squeamish about body stuff in general, but found the urine collection portion to be kind of not great and in fact my least favorite part of the process. They issue a pee jug that is marked with volume measurements and something called a urine collection hat, a sort of bowl that fits inside a toilet that you pee into and then pour into the jug using the helpful pour spout built into the hat. You just keep pouring it all into the jug for the 24 hours and then drop it off at a testing site. So you need to plan 24 hours around being able to collect your urine and cart around a big plastic jug of your own urine, all casually bundled in a discreet-looking paper bag. It's slightly awkward. I truly wish the lab company, initials LabCorp, 
North Carolina company, by the way, based in Burlington, hadn't messed up the analysis, requiring me to do a collection a second time. Oh, oh no. A quick internet search shows that you can indeed order your own pee jugs and urine collection hats in case you're serious about doing a volume measurement of your respective urine outputs. David, hmm? remember, you gotta hydrate to stay great. Uh, tell that to John, Antonia. I'm well aware of that. I'm the guy who peed 13 times in one day. So much piss. John, we got an epic communique from a listener named David. After listening to your ongoing conversation about how much water to drink, I'm happy to respond to David's call for a doctor to write in. While I'm still in training as a second-year resident in internal medicine, I am a medical doctor. The crux to how much water to drink is to know that your body tries to keep the amount of water inside your body constant by regulating your thirst and the amount of urine your kidneys make. This is an example of homeostasis, a key concept of physiology that you may remember from high school biology. To start with the basics, water comes into the body from both beverages and food. The body loses water from your kidneys by making urine, from your GI tract by making poop, from your skin by making sweat, and from your lungs by respiration. While your body has relatively limited control over GI, skin, and lung water losses, it has tremendous control over how much urine you make. For a healthy adult with normal kidney function, the kidneys can make as little as half a liter, one pint of urine per day. That's like you, John. And as much <laughs> as 12 liters per day, three gallons. And John, that's like your boy, Davey. Three gallons. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. Yes. <laughs> your body's water balance is controlled by an area in your brain called the osmostat. The osmostat works just like a thermostat. The osmostat continuously monitors blood sodium concentration, and it has two output signals, the sensation of thirst and the amount of water your kidneys secrete as urine. If your blood is too salty, i.e. too concentrated with sodium, you will become thirsty, which modifies your behavior to increase water intake, and your kidneys will keep more water in your body, resulting in your urine output to drop. Conversely, if your blood sodium concentration is too dilute, your kidneys will dump excess water into your urine to concentrate your blood sodium levels. The osmostat, when functioning correctly, keeps the blood sodium concentration within one to two percentage points of a set value, even with huge variations in water intake and losses. The body has another water regulatory system based on, quote, effective blood pressure. This system is a bit more complicated, but in essence, low blood pressure causes your kidneys to hold on to more water in the body, which leads to less water secretion and urinary output. So instead of worrying about a specific amount of water to drink per day, I would advise you to simply make sure you have convenient access to water and then let your thirst level be your guide for how much to drink. In medical jargon, this is a prescription for water ad libitum. I assume that's how you pronounce that, which is Latin for at your desire. John, it's all about water, water at your desire. Love it. Your subconscious, osmostat, is making continuously and finely tuned decisions, your thirst level and urine output, based on real-time sensory data that your conscious self cannot access. David. He writes, please do not force drinking to pass your thirst level. If you drink more water than your kidneys can secrete, 
roughly three gallons per day as mentioned above, you will have excessive free water in your body, which will cause low sodium levels, hyponatremia, which can lead to confusion, seizures, and even death. I have admitted several patients with underlying psychiatric conditions to the ICU because they had a compulsion to drink massive amounts of water. This also occurs with some regularity when people overhydrate before running marathons. See, John, that's why I don't run marathons, because I don't trust myself to not overhydrate. That's John, what... he writes. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, it... oh, we... Yeah, he's addressing me now. He's addressing you now. If you do not drink enough water to satisfy your thirst, your blood pressure will eventually drop. The medical term for this is intravascular volume depletion, which can lead to organ failure and death. An early sign of volume depletion is lightheadedness when you move from laying flat to sitting or standing upright. That's called orthostatic hypotension. For a non-elderly adult who does not have increased GI losses like vomiting or diarrhea or skin losses like excessive sweating, it would be unusual to become dehydrated to the point that it lowers your blood pressure. Still, it could be possible if you actively disregard your thirst for a long period of time, John. Which I do not do. So, John... Be sure you have access to water throughout the day. And if you feel lightheaded when you stand up, this could be an early sign that you have not been listening to your thirst level, John. To conclude, David writes, drink to the level of your thirst. Don't force yourself to drink water if you're not thirsty. And don't deprive yourself of water when you're thirsty. Don't try to outthink your osmostat. Now, there are several important exceptions to the prescription of water ad libitum. For example, if you have heart, liver, or kidney disease, or have an active infection, to name only a few. So please treat this only as general guidance, not medical advice. And talk to your doctor regarding your specific medical circumstances. He concludes, thank you for the many hours of podcasting. You have been a source of comfort and profit throughout my medical training. Okay, maybe not profit in 2016, but definitely in 2020, he writes. Please keep going after predicted shuts down. Epic. Yeah. I feel fully empowered to make good decisions about urination thanks to these listener letters. Thank you to everyone who took time to write in on this topic. It's really interesting, actually. The body, John, is a source of endless fascination, pleasure, and despair for many humans. And I'll go to my grave believing that until my own body shuts down, ironically. Yeah. Your body can be your best friend or your worst enemy. It's really fucked up, you know? And I really do think it comes back to something we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. What if even Adam had just never taken a bite out of that apple? Would things be different with our bodies? Uh, What is the cause of man's sin, John? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Let's leave that for another episode. Andrew in Toronto writes in, it feels like lately there's been a lot of talk about numerology and urine, but not enough about what the core (laughs) listenership shows up for, which is guitar pedals and skylines. John, we're getting called out for for the fork in the road of our podcast discussions. This guy wants us to bring it back to the old school. He wants more fan service. Okay, Okay, fine. Uh, a few months ago, I found these two pedals just left out on the sidewalk in front of a house around the corner from mine. The knobs had been removed and there were no AC cables, but I brought them home. One of them looks really fun. It's a Boss RE20 Space Echo. This is unbelievable. It, 
It looks like these were made in a few different form factors, and this is one of the lesser expensive ones for resale on Reverb, but still resells for three to $400. This guy, this fucking It guy. might need some repairs. It's hard to tell without the knobs. It definitely adds an echo to the original though, so it's working to some degree. The other pedal is an Alesis Micro Enhancer, which I really don't know what it does. The sound difference is not very audible. I'm trying to decide, should I buy knobs for, maybe, repair the space echo and see if it fits into my pedal setup, or just sell it as is? Same with the Alesis. Congratulations, Andrew, on this extraordinary find of two musical devices out on the street. Listeners will remember the day when I when I retrieved and repaired and refurbished a uh, Wawa pedal that I had found on the street. And that's truly, literally a dream come true to find some abundance of musical equipment for free out in the garbage. Uh, the Boss RE20 Space Echo pedal that you have, you're right. I think this is now the, this is the second in the, in a string of three form factors for this iconic, uh, reverb delay unit. The original Space Echoes, uh, are super expensive now and they are massive, hulking, heavy, finicky, actual analog tape loop echo devices with, with big loops of analog tape that, you know, go in a loop and you and you there's a bunch of different playheads so that you can keep getting uh, reiterations of the original signal. The one that you have found is I think was made in the 80s and 90s. The Space Echo is now I think as of a few years ago been um, reproduced in Boss's traditional form factor for their stomp boxes, which is the iconic just Boss pedal that most of their pedals have. Um, you shouldn't quote me on any of this cause I'm kind of going off the top of my head. So what I think you have is one from the eighties or nineties. It looks to me that based on the picture, all the previous owner did was remove the knobs. That is not the actual potentiometers, but just the knob part, the part you touch from these pots, which control various elements of the pedal. This will be an easy replacement if you want to refurbish it. It doesn't seem to be any exterior damage to the pedal, and you said that it seems to be working. So I would encourage you to just buy replacement knobs for this pedal, but make sure when you're buying the knobs, you buy the right type of knobs. I don't mean the aesthetics, but I mean, you'll notice that these pots are the type that are flat on one half, and uh, they're like half moon shaped from above. And some some knobs are designed for pots of different shapes and different textures. So just make sure you buy the right pots. Congratulations. This is like winning the street pedal lottery. Now, the Alesis Micro Enhancer, based on the two seconds of research I did, seems to just be a treble boost that somehow does not boost the noise on the higher register of the signal. This form factor looks like it's made for a recording studio rather than your pedal board or for a live set. Again, you're missing the same types of knobs. So you could buy one set of knobs that would set, it looks like they would fit both of these devices. And then if I was you, I would just turn around and sell the micro enhancer or leave it as something to mess around with in your home studio. Andrew, congratulations on this find. You, you, you are listener of the week, Andrew, because you won the street pedal lottery. Now, John, do you want to talk about whatever he's talking about? Fucking Toronto buildings or whatever. Now for John. I live in Toronto, which is generally acknowledged to have a pretty good skyline, but besides the iconic buildings like the CN Tower, Sky Dome, and the Toronto Dominion Center Towers, it's been adding many more tall towers in the last decade, and the skyline is much denser than it used to be, and getting more so every year. 
My question to you is, do you have any favorite or least favorite skyline changes? Maybe cities that have added buildings that really made a skyline come to life or conversely ruined a pretty good skyline. Any up and coming skylines you'd like to shout out or skylines on the decline? Uh, yeah, I should finish off that he, he, he's, he, after he says, do you have a question about, or do you have any skylines on the decline? He writes, thanks for, thanks, all the best and drink more water, Andrew in Toronto. And then he has a link to some reference material, which is this incredible, uh, photo essay of the transformation of the Toronto skyline beginning like a hundred years ago. And, um, Yes, a favorite, least favorite skylines. Toronto is just a juggernaut. I mean, it's right up there with Chicago. Really? Um, Obviously, yes, absolutely. Um, New York is in a class of its own. Um, In terms of skylines developing and changing, I don't see any skylines on the decline because I don't see anybody tearing many buildings down. There are definitely places that have become stagnant. There hasn't been anything tall built in Atlanta in probably 30 years. Charlotte is one of a very few uh, number of North American cities that is still building tall buildings, things that are over uh, 500 feet. Um, Charlotte, along with Austin, and then New York City, LA, Seattle, and Miami. Those are pretty much the only places that are uh, building tall buildings right now. So, is there a change that you think really improved a skyline or really ruined a skyline? I don't like the new Bank of America tower in Charlotte. I think it's whoa. kind of ugly. Whoa, 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 whoa! I wowie zowie, you're talking. Wh- smack about the Charlotte skyline. Okay. And and here's another problem that I have with the Charlotte skyline. Uh Um, About 10 years ago, uh, Duke Energy uh, built this almost 800 uh, foot tower and they have these neon lights around it uh, that that you change colors and everything at night. And it's kind of cool. But it was one tower at the time. Now a bunch of other towers are doing this and it's kind of starting to look a little tacky. Interesting. If you ask me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, imagine if New York City was just like all these flashing, ridiculous things. You know, it's like trying too hard. And Charlotte has an amazing skyline already. It's not a place that needs to try hard. So I think Charlotte could ruin its skyline if this continues Whoa. Uh, to happen. Um, I have problems with the Miami skyline because it's just so boring and it's just so many residential units. Ouch. They're all white. Wow. Um, Seattle's skyline is awesome. Uh, Austin is probably going to pass Charlotte in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, I don't think anything in particular in New York has changed things because of just so many buildings. Uh, and the same goes for um, places like Chicago and LA. So I know I Andrew a- didn't address his question to me, but I will say, speaking of New York, that I think the Freedom Tower was a lousy addition to the New York skyline. I agree, but they I understand could- they had to do something, but it's, yes, it's a huge step down from the 
from the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Right. I agree with that. But New York can absorb something like that. Whereas if mm. they had built that mm-hmm. in a place like Charlotte, it would have absolutely wrecked the skyline. I do think Oklahoma City with the Devron Tower uh, looks kind of ridiculous. It's like 850 feet and the next tallest tower is like 500. Um, so that kind of ruined their skyline. The Devon Tower. Oh, yeah. That looks like shit. Come on. What is this? I mean, it would look good if it, but it actually makes the, the skyline look a lot smaller. It's like when a basketball player shows up and stands around a bunch of around a bunch of regular people. They really, it's, yeah, not so good. Not so good. Yeah. John, we've reached the end of this week's listener questions. And I think we've talked about PP uh, for long enough for this week. We've satisfied our PP discussion quota. We didn't really tackle the news, but that's okay because it's all just kind of depressing right now. And there's not much that we can say. Well, one thing we can say is... That Election Profit Makers is an independent production. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. Send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And if you want to advertise with us and our elite listeners, please email us at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And uh, reminder, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or You don't have to say that. I know you hate saying that. Don't say that. Everybody leave us alone and don't give feedback. How about that? Okay. Let us live on our mountaintops, far from the pestering feedback of podcast listeners. As we play with our fidget spinners, our jacks, and our pickup sticks, figuring out how to weaponize them in in the service of the complete overthrow of the police state. How about that? Think on that. Yeah. Well, goodbye. Bye.